This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers, to Anatomy of Movie as we dissect Atomic Blonde, the new Charlize Theron movie. Um, it takes place in the 80s when the Berlin Wall is falling, so stay tuned as we dissect all of it. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Damn right, we talk movies, and we're going to talk everything surrounding Atomic Blonde. Um, but before we really dive in, and, and even before I introduce everyone... Uh, the the Mar- Marissa Serafini's already dancing. I was going to call you the Marissa Serafini because that's your. That is my name. Yes. The, Hello, everyone. The, the Marissa Serafini. I'm the Marissa Serafini. Don't get it wrong. So get, the don't is get your first name. I'm gotcha. The Marissa Serafini. Uh, yes. He- Hello, everyone. I'm back. I'm here. <laughs> and we have Dimitri Panos hey, as well. Hey, How are you? Not the just Dimitri. You take the the off for savings. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, I'm Phil Svitek. Uh, lovely to have you guys. For those of you just joining us for the very first time, welcome. If you're joining uh, for another round, welcome back. We we love you guys just the same. A uh, couple things to note. We assume that you've seen the movie, so it will be spoiler-filled. Um, secondly... Uh, we have our rundown that's included in the description, so that way you get to follow along and see the finer details of uh, what we're talking about. If you know, we don't always get to some of the stuff. You know, it's like an iceberg. Our research represents um, <laughs> an iceberg. Well, it, it represents the depth of the right. stuff that we talk about. And um, in the booth, our great engineer Anthony. Anthony was also seen this and really wants to talk about the movie. Welcome, Anthony. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Hope to have a wonderful discussion this evening. Yes. How's Brady, how's Brady doing? Oh, he's great. He's like okay. laying down right next to me, just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> We're just bringing the whole family. Brady's the dog. Brady's a dog. <laughs> All right. Now that you've met the whole cast and crew, including the dog, uh, don't worry. Uh, we're going to make a lot of comparisons to John Wick. The dog does not get killed during this podcast. Um, yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> I blame you, Anthony, if it happens. Let's start with overall impressions. Uh, um, Marissa, let's start with you. You know, I saw this trailer so many times, and I was really excited. Like, I, I love Charlize Theron. I, she, she's gorgeous. She's an amazing actress. has a great career. So I was actually naturally really excited for this film. Um, watching it throughout, there was a lot of good fight scenes and some good action moments that you would find in a, a normal film, such as this. I found the predictability of this movie was very unfortunate, more so because a lot of times when I watch movies, I'm like, yeah, I was right, you know? And then at, the, but at the end of this film, I was like, oh, I was right. I knew it. Like, I literally predicted everything in the first 20 minutes, and then I had to watch the rest of the movie just to confirm my predictions. And I was more upset about it. And yeah, it was visually pretty sometimes here and there, but I just felt like the story kind of lacked for me personally. But there, there were other things that I really did enjoy about this film. Charlize was great. I mean, watch it for her, really. Enough, sure. Dimitri. Yeah, I. You know, I don't know. Atomic Blonde and or the spy who went into the cold. Uh, 
the weather in the Cold War. Um, you know, for me, it, this, this sort of kind of was a pleasant surprise. Like you, Marissa, it seemed like everywhere I go, uh, or every movie that I went, I saw this trailer in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So kudos to the Focus uh, Exhibitor Relations uh, Department who handles such things. So I was expecting more of a John Wickish kind of a movie, um, but I ended up getting a little more Jean Le Carré. So it's like Jean Le Carré mixed with some John John Wick. Jean Le Carré being the the uh, the, the the spy author uh, who did the spy who came in from the cold, and the such and did Smiley's people, uh, Tinker Tailor told Soldier Spy. These are Jean Le Carré. They're they're, they're very talky. Um, types of spy movies and espionage and building suspense. And this one had that. I mean, we've got a... It's a Cold War spy movie. And while it does have some familiar trappings, a knock list has gotten out, which lists all the spies. Good guys need to get it back so it doesn't expose their spies. The bad guys want it, the Russians in this case, so that they can see who the spies are. And then you throw in this satchel character sort of a double agent spy um so again we've seen these this knock list device and other types of espionage kind of movies but where i really think this movie excels well it's charlize theron i mean producing the movie um and here acting uh in this movie and she gives us this mi6 operative lorraine broughton and, you know, she can do as much with a stare as she can with a stiletto high heel. I mean, I thought that she was really great in this role. Um, yet another strong female lead, uh, female character, who literally carries this movie and takes her punches. Boy, howdy, are there punches. I mean, fight scenes last long, and they're brutal. And you've almost, to the point where you feel every knock, kick, and punch to the head, gut, and or back. I thought she was really, really good. Uh, But you can't keep a good woman down. Theron managed roughly 90% of her stunts, and I thought she was great. Um, Atomic Blonde has a great thumping 80s soundtrack to help push it along. Um, You know, I gotta throw back, like, I think Guardians of the Galaxy sort of kind of brought this kind of soundtrack back, the first one. And, you know, where it made music very integral to the story and popular. And so now we have a great 80s soundtrack in this movie. Um, and it's, it, I think it really helps move the story along. It's a really fun soundtrack. However, they use the David Bowie song, Putting Out the Fire for, with Gasoline, which was the main song from the movie Cat People, with Natasha Kinski in it. I don't know of another movie that has repurposed what was the hit main theme song to another movie, and now they've used it in this movie as sort of kind of their theme song, <laughs> in a sense. But we'll talk a little bit more about Bowie uh, um, a little bit later on, but I love that song. Okay. And I loved it when it first came out, and it's a great song now. Well... Uh, you know, a lot of people describe this movie as just like the, the 80s Pandora station, um, which in essence <laughs> can be. Uh, you know, and I don't know. You you guys have mentioned that it's there's trailer after trailer for this movie, and the trailer is so cool. And so it sets you up to go into a cool movie. And I was expecting a really fun movie. And for the, you know, 
there's a lot there, but um, it doesn't go any deeper than that. It just plays by the book, uh, very cliched. Um, you know, if the only new thing is that okay, we've got a female lead in this role, I, okay, it, it's it's not cool enough. You still have to have a good story. And unfortunately, we, you know, I, I would say if it had a, a male lead in it too, I'd say, okay, the, the story overall is just boring. No offense. I really want to see more movies with her as the character. Just give me a good storyline. Because um, I think there's a lot to take away from it. And unfortunately, to Marissa's point, um, I don't, you know, I, I want to, once we'll get into it pretty soon, but um, in terms of the reveal, I don't know if I predicted the reveal as much, um, but I also just didn't really care. There's a difference mm. when you're watching The Usual Suspects. You're like, oh, my God. 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 Right. This is like, wait, what? Huh? All right. Fine. And that's it. And there's there's not that hit. There's not that gut check. There's not that moment of realization. It doesn't amount. It doesn't mean anything for the world, really. I, I don't get what the... The takeaway there really is. So anyway, unfortunately, I didn't have the best opinion of it. Anthony, I'll throw it to you, and then we'll dive deeper into the stuff we've been bringing up. Yeah, there is a lot of things I can say where I agree with you guys. Like what you just said with the whole reveal, I definitely didn't feel it as much. Man, I'm thinking about it. I was like, why didn't I? And it's possible it just like, like I guess maybe the stakes weren't raised high enough for me to really like, oh, man, these spy operatives are going to die. That's crazy. Because... In reality, I didn't see any of their faces. Like, I didn't know any of these spy operatives. Maybe because I couldn't sympathize with the potential dangers that the film uh, set up for us. Um, that, so I could agree there. Like, the review of her, like, working with the USA was like, oh, okay. Like, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> like, we see John, the final review where we see John Goodman, you know, just sitting on the plane. It's like, oh, all right. She was English. She was uh, American the whole time. I'm like, all right. Well, she was satchel. Yeah, she was yeah, Satchel, yeah. too. Even then, that, well, too, I was like... Satchel, too. She kinda, was Satchel. That's she was Satchel the was. double agent. Yeah, she was Satchel. <laughs> I'll sum it up real fast. It is an adaptation of a graphic novel from 2012, uh, <laughs> uh, The Coldest City. It was a passion project, as described for Theron. Uh, it took five years to get there, and here we are. Okay, great. So, let's talk about it, and we'll talk about the well, writing in a little bit. But yeah, let's, let's talk try. about... What is it? What is it? What We're is there. what? The ending. What is the reveal? What's the takeaway? Like, Well, well, I mean, for me, again, maybe I, I'll admit it. I, you know, I'm the idiot of the bunch. So I didn't see the. I didn't see that she was Satchel. Prob. No, I just didn't see. Probably until uh, she was maybe meeting with John Goodman uh, mm. by by the wall, um, mm. uh, by the <laughs> Berlin Wall. Um, getting that information, and, but and and we know that 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 the uh, that Percival, the, the 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 James McAvoy character, you know, he had he had looked at the list. He knew who Satchel was is, you know. And this whole movie was going around. We need the list back, and we have to figure out who Satchel is because Satchel can undo us all. Satchel's a double agent, and I thought they were doing a good job. For me, anyways, for playing as to this Satchel character and who it could be, I knew right off the bat that it couldn't be Percival because it was just too easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Percival, J- James McAvoy was great. I thought I really liked him a lot, but he I was such him. a yeah. he was such a shit. I mean, he was <laughs> right. a he was he was playing all sides, and there was nothing you can trust about him. And for me, I was like, going, well, that's not Satchel. It's just way too easy. 
for him to be Satchel. So it's somebody that we don't know yet. Could it be Sofia Butella, who I also really liked in this movie? Um, and I thought they did a really good job in doing this. And again, this is a Jean Le Carre kind of kind of a story type. It's like there's a spy within the spy network that's spying on us. And so when we came to the end, and obviously Percival has to die because he knows the, the truth. So when she gets on the private jet and John Goodman's there, I don't know. I was like, oh. Again, I didn't have the usual suspects. This this is not the usual suspects. I didn't have that feeling. But I felt like, well, oh, this is cool. And when he and when he said to her, cocksucker, really? <laughs> I thought that that was funny. And, and I just bought it. I bought it hook, line, and, and, and stinker, stinker for, you, for, for, for you guys. I don't know. I, 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 the the well, ending didn't bother me. I, 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 I want to go to uh, Marissa. Explain like what you had predicted oh, as you're okay. watching it, and then kind of take us through that thought process. So w- when they talked about that, there was a double agent. And I was like, okay. Usually, if they want a big reveal, it's usually something that's already always hiding, literally uh, under in you know in plain sight under our noses. And I, was, and I thought it, it could have been two people, Percival or her. Or Lorraine. I was like, it, it could be both, and it'd be great if it was Lorraine because, you know, you wouldn't expect it from your protagonist, or so to speak, or, or your main antagonist, which the film was, like, led up to maybe um, Percival as the main antagonist. It's like, it could be two people. And then when uh, she killed Percival, I was like, okay, it has to be her, you know. But so, so at the early beginning part of the film, and they mentioned that this list is very important, she, and I think it was, like, granite... Charlize is a great actress, but I think it was the acting ability of her her uh, accent of the her British accent, not to sound terrible because I can't do it either, <laughs> was so bad that I couldn't believe that she was a British person, and it just sounded off for this character to the point where I was like, she's no way is she actually British, knowing mm-hmm. that like she actually isn't really? British in real oh. life. But I felt like it didn't match with her character that she was that British. I was like, no, it would it'd be a great reveal if she will. It was like, oh, psych, I'm not British. And then, like, there it was. So that, that was my mental thought process, that just her acting ability that she wasn't British enough gave it away for me. I thought her accent, it worked for me. There was much that didn't work for me when it came to Charlize Theron. I mean... But they, yeah. they, they did make a conscious choice of the level of her. Like, when she's talking on um, at the bridge... And they're saying like they're talking about Langley and and whatnot. Um, she she kind of starts slipping up back into an American accent, and that's a choice. It's not it's not a mess up. It's a choice of acting um, to kind of throw that in there. The, the the problem I have with it is that um, it's you know it usually in something like this you would suspect um, Percival, and then. It, it would shift and you'd be like, oh, wait, it wasn't him. He's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's still a little shitbag. He is. Big so, shitbag. So I mean, it's not like he, he's, for the most of the time, he's still a double agent. He still wanted to sell the crap out of that thing. It, and it's hard. But, but come out a good guy by revealing who Satchel was. Yeah, and, and the thing is, the way that I looked at the character of Percival was, it wasn't that he was a double agent. He just, he didn't want the wall to go down because... He had his fiefdom. Like, he created this world of buying and selling, and he was living off this. 
and he didn't care who he threw under a bus because, hey, look at the life that he was leading. I mean, he was going to nightclubs. He was known by people. He was like, screw the spy business, man. I can I can buy and sell all the <laughs> yeah, con- yeah. <laughs> yeah, connections. And once 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 uh, Lorraine comes into this world, he's like, oh shit. It's like, what am I going to do? And then and then you throw in Sofia Batella's character. And then he's like, oh, my God, this is all about to come to a crashing end. And I knew something was up with him when he uh, said he didn't know Charlize Theron's uh, the, the, the spy the, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, who, who gets who we see get killed. And then when he talks about him later, like, oh, yeah, we were really good friends. About, you're like, well, wait. Oh, he's lying to us. Then I thought, oh, it's Satchel. But then it was like, no, it's just way too easy. These movies aren't that easy. And then you feel, that guy's just a shitbag. He's just, I'm doing what I'm doing. I love what I do. People look at, people look at me and I have power. I have control over people and I can get them what they need and I can sell it to the highest bidder. So he had that whole thing going, but he was just a bad person. The, the, the problem, you know, um, to expand upon my thing, and, and Anthony, you can give your take of this or anyone can really jump in, but, um, you know, whether it's whether it's the usual suspects or I'm trying to think of another movie I just had in one in mind, but but I lost it. Uh, Sixth Sense, maybe? Mm, nah, it no. has to be like kind of something spy Um you know, the, 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 we applaud it for the action. I mean, you know, we'll talk about the, the, the sequence and whatnot, which I thought, to be honest, was a little overlong. Um, I think they could have cut down a lot of these action scenes and, mm-hmm. like, let's stick the story and that's part of the problem. But anyway, I digress. The, the matter of the fact being, when she's telling her story, recounting it, she's supposed to be telling a lie. But there's a weird distinction. Like, they tell some of the truth and they also tell some of the lie. And so it, it it becomes weird because you got to stick to you're you got to be like an amazing magician in that and have that that craft to continue the lie as truthful as it is, and so that way, you know, um, when things unwrap by the end, that's when the truth is revealed and like all these names, um, you know, that's when the camera goes of like okay, hey, she said this, but that was a made up name that she read on this business card that didn't make sense or. This person, you know, like the fact that she cut the tapes. She edited the tape, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be a reveal. Like, it's, it, 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 in a weird way, it's like she's telling the people, and yet, no, that's the lie behind what she's saying, and you're slightly left confused. Yeah, but see, I got, like, the editing of the tape, you really saw that at the end of the movie, when the reveal, like, I, I got this as... Like, to your point, when she kills Percival, then you're like, could she potentially be Satchel? And then when you're, then it's, then it's like that next plot point of, then you see her doing stuff. It's like, well, we saw her in that room earlier in the movie, but I didn't know she was editing tape. And then now we see her editing tape. And and again, my one thing I was wondering, do people actually know what she's doing? Like, because that doesn't exist today. At all, <laughs> like I at think. all. I mean, I'm that antiquated I get, version. It's a very antiquated version. But I thought that it was. I go, oh, she took all his sound right? She's making him that she's satchel. So when she walks in the plane, the reveal is already there for us. I just like the John Goodman character. I guess I don't know. I liked how it 
played out in that very in the finality of the third act. And then you sound like you want to jump in. Um, yeah, I had a, I've, I've been thinking about that whole uh, her editing the tape sequence as well. At the end, I have a feeling like if they did somewhat of a better job, kind of leaving breadcrumbs for us to follow, but at the same time leave them very vague. As in, like, oh, what's she doing in this scene? And like, why did that? Why did that? Why did they show us this? Why did that just happen? There was none of that until the very reveal, and that's what kind of made it like, oh, okay. Like, it felt flat. It felt really flat. If it was sprinkled throughout the film, like just random uh, shots of her doing, the, like, the work as satchel, I think it would have worked much better for the reveal. Hmm. I think this is where I think Marissa's gonna agree with me, and so feel free to jump in, but. I think just the sheer length of it, and especially the action stuff, you're so exhausted that you've kind of forgotten the story. And I think had it been tighter, we would have gotten some of the clues. Because I think on a page level, like bullet point, like they have enough clues laid in, but you just forget. I, th- I mean, I can understand. We'll definitely get to the, the action moments. But I felt that there were enough moments throughout the film where she's purposely withholding information from the people who she's recanting the story yeah. to and to the audience herself. And that was like a red flag for me. I was like, oh, she's hiding <clears throat> information that no one wants to know. She's protecting herself. Right. And that was also an- another indication where that's where I thought, oh, she could be the double agent. I think there were m- multiple moments where I picked that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, n- I never thought that myself, to be honest. So that's that's actually a pretty good point. I did get that, that she was withholding information, but I'm trying to wonder... Was that to protect herself from, like, implicating her, implicating herself with that gentleman at the beginning, implicating herself with Sophia Boutella's character? I didn't know exactly. She was protecting someone. Uh, And then it just comes out she was actually protecting herself. And remember, she's supposed to be, she's... She's supposed to be an MI6 agent. Now, MI6 has been made famous by James Bond. Um, you know, he's an MI6 licensed to kill agent, and, and this is what she gets called in for, um, you know, to, uh, to testify, so to speak. And M is the guy behind the, you know, the, 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 the double pane, the mirrored glass. Um, but I, I agree with you, Marissa. I thought, too, that she was withholding information, but I didn't know if that was to protect somebody else. Um, again, you know, maybe I'm just a dunce. I didn't figure out the satchel aspect until the director wanted me to know that she was that she was actually satchel, and that wasn't her getting on the plane. I, but I it was that third act. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I mean, I you know, I think a couple of things for me. Number one, <clears throat> I we didn't have a clear sense of why. Okay, why are we recounting the story? What is the end result, and why are we here? Um, number one, so that and you know. And that's – it's a dicey thing because, again, maybe if you over-explain of that result, then we figure out the trickery. But we need something more than we were given, I think. Number two, there's a lot of people – I don't – I don't you know, I think this is a very confusing movie because from what I've been reading, a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. Some even have the – some uh, – you know, I don't think it's necessarily a wrong interpretation – uh, I, I think it's slightly misinformed, but they thought Percival was Satchel, and then she just took on his identity. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily a bad reading of it either, based on like how confusing some of this stuff is. 
Yeah, I mean... <sighs> well, I, I think mostly... Me, personally, I think I just put two and two together <laughs> really quickly, it sounds like it. Um, but I, I, I personally tend to follow stories that have multiple characters, and you, you kind of develop this skill of knowing, like, who's important and who's not. And I think that's what they tried to do with this film. They kept adding more guys that could potentially be the suspect, could potentially be the double agent. And then once they start dying one by one, I was like, it, it is kind of like um, the last man standing has right. to be that person. And But they kept adding these guys, and then they kept dying every once in a while. I was like, okay, it's probably her. Yeah, and again, I'll just go back to Jean Le Carre. I mean... That subterfuge of of, confu- of, of, of of confusing an audience, uh, you know, that that's part of the crux of a lot of his. Just to put a little bit into perspective, too, Jean Le Carre was an actual agent. Okay, the author here, he was an actual agent, and he was writing to be the antithesis of B- James Bond. James Bond was very popular, right? But, but James Bond, for me, in Fleming, is very escapism. Okay, he has this very lush life, travels. Where Lucare knew it's really not that glamorous and it could be very dangerous. And so those movies, if you watch Spy Who Came In From the Cold, or even Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, there's so many characters in there and there's a lot of dialogue, right? But you, again, that's trying to find a mole as well. And that's what I sort of kind of appreciated about this. Not that it was as layered as a Lucare, but we get a little more dialogue. This wasn't, this wasn't a John Wick movie. Even though we had the fight scenes, there was a little bit more. It was a little more Cold War spy movie, which we haven't had in an extremely long time. Especially with the female lead. Oh, well, we've never had. (laughs) You're right. We've never had that. And I sort of kind of appreciated the fact that I was a little bit confused, that I had to pay attention, that I had to look at things. So if I go in with the second viewing, knowing what I know, I, I do believe there were breadcrumbs dropped throughout that could sort of signify that that she too is satchel and you got to remember as mi6 she's covering up the fact that she is satchel and she knows that that information is out there and the reason why they were interrogating her is from the mi6 perspective it was a botched job they never really got this knock list like a lot of people died including the person that they were supposed to be getting out of uh West Berlin into East Berlin. Was that it? West to East? Yeah. He gets killed. There's a lot of carnage. <laughs> a lot of people got killed. She's the last one standing, and I'm not even quite sure the only information that she really had was Satchel. Uh, maybe she had the list, but... But, but, but even that, went... the exposition could have been so compressed of, like, you know, she comes in, you botched <clears throat> that job. We told you to get the list... And we told you to figure out who Satchel was. What the hell happened? But they did. They, they. I mean, it wasn't as blatant. It, it wasn't as blatant as you just put it. <laughs> but they did say, "But you're here different... because of like what the hell happened to Berlin." But and I know. She but you got to recount our story. You know, uh, you got to mask exposition as ammunition, and that was the mm. time to just get it out. Okay. Rather than because because they say that, but then she recounts the story of like, "Well, you met." You told me to do this, and it just it drags. Okay, it, I don't know. It, it, it does for me. I I mean I, I can uh, kind of agree with that too. I felt like it dragged because they kept adding more and more characters that eventually died off later. 
And I think that's why we were, a lot of people might have gotten confused unless that was for artistic purposes to throw people off, was that they kept adding more people to, to make us think it could be this person, could be this one. And that's where the story gets convoluted because now we're spending so much time on other people away from her right. that we were led to believe it could be them. Yeah, and, and I, I, again, just going under and knowing that the screenwriter and the director even have gone on to say... I just took it that that was their homage, like to let, let let's make this a convoluted because Le Carre. If you, did you ever watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? I, no, I, I did, and, and I, I like that. It's, but it, but it's, it's a it's very different. slow burn, right? It's different because well, it doesn't have the action that this movie has in it, right? But it is different. But there are the moles in this, and we have great performances in that movie. That's I, I just found this sort of kind of playing homage to that style and hey why don't we try to why don't we try to have the best of both worlds we're gonna have a female or three worlds female character who's I thought she was fantastic Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna have some some fight scenes and some actions that that today's audience is used to and then I'm gonna throw in like some some convoluted espionage and obviously it didn't work for you. Well, I'll, I'll give him this. And sorry, you know, I don't mean to be like a Monday morning quarterback no. in this. <laughs> um, but I thought some of the stuff that really did work was, for example, when they had the, 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 the sex scene, they cut to like, so you made contact with the operative? Yes. I thought that was funny because we're, we're, we're juxtaposing that. Um, I thought, for no offense, for some of the longer stuff, especially when you're recounting a story... How much of this detail are you freaking recounting? Like, just be like, okay, so you fought a lot of people? Yeah, I fought a lot of people. Okay, great. And cut, and, and, and we're good. Because part of it is, I don't know, I want to get from your guys' perspective, how much of this A is true? Because that's what I'm unclear on. Like, she could have shot um, the, the guy that she was protecting. She could have shot him. And we just never seen it. She made up, obviously, this elaborate thing. And the other part of it is, from a movie perspective, if you're recounting a story, the fact that we go to Percival as a third person while she's recounting the story, it's supposed to be from her perspective. How the hell would she know any of that? No, I so thought it, the it, same it, for, So the filmic language is a, list, a little uh, incongruent. But don't forget who she set up to be the patsy. It was Percival. Yeah, but how so, that... How, like, and I don't think that she shot Eddie Marsden's character. I don't think she was shooting... I don't think she shot the... Def- well, actually... It's to her she, benefit well, to, to have him die. Yeah, that's true, too. No, I, I thought the same way, think, too, because there there were moments <clears throat> where there were only scenes where Percival was by himself, and I, I had the exact same thing. I was like, how would she know this is what Percival was doing? Like, right. this is who Percival saw, you know, at night by himself, at X, Y, and Z. I mean, right. we get the, the photo reveals. But again, how much of it is actually fabricated and how much actually happened. Right. And I think uh, we were talking about styles when it came to, yeah, she could have just shot him or shot all these people and then the action scene would be over. And I think that's where this movie kind of also suffers where they focus too much on the stylistic aspect and then lost the story and substance. The Eddie Marsden character was going to die. And and I think once, once his family, once that character's family was introduced, okay, and, and here's, and I'm just going off of what I believe. She may have been wanting to kill that character, right? 
We'll call him mm-hmm. the defector. I forget his name. And um, uh, I'll find it, but keep going. But he's the going. defector. Spyglass. Spyglass. Spyglass yeah. Okay, so Spyglass, we learn, has a photographic memory. He knows the list by heart. Okay. And, yeah, she could have shot him. Her plan may have been to have killed him during this escape, but then the family is brought into it. And she's like, this wasn't part of the plan. And she sees that he has a family. And I, I believe that... Now I, she grows a conscience? Yeah. Well, she has to protect... you got to understand, it's not necessarily about now she grows a conscience, okay? She's like, this is much larger because this guy's got a family. I'm an American spy, okay? I'm part of the CIA, all right? I've got to protect my cover, this cover... Now I know that this guy has a family. What is, well, she could save him and bring him to the U.S. and bring the entire family to the U.S. That, that wasn't uncommon during that time either, and that would fit well into a spy thing. As far as uh, our Percival character goes, he didn't want him to go out because he wanted to be sole keeper of all the information, and yet this guy now can go sell it out because he's got this, this, this photographic memory. It's the photographic memory that's, the, that's a plot point here that, that keeps this story going. And so he wants him dead because he, he does know the list, and he's somebody else that's, well, if he, if he knows it, somebody else can extract him and get the same information that he's going to get. So I get why he wants to shoot him, but in the end, does he... does. Lorraine Broton really try that hard to unstrap him? No. Uh, you know, but, but, out of the... No, I, like, my problem with Spyglass was that they built him up just because he's so important. If his information gets out, then, you know, right. her information got out. But my problem is, once Spyglass was actually killed, I didn't feel sorry for him. I'm sorry, that sounds terrible. But, like, I didn't, like, I didn't care more so and like yeah unfortunately his family was not there it's more of a like anthony was saying a more of a sympathetic person Mm -hmm. but i didn't care because it was just another person to eliminate i was like all right move on it's not him i just a couple plot points or questions certainly arise for me the more we talk about it number one why wouldn't you just write it back the guy's got a photographic memory great we're gonna get you safely across just write down your names (laughs) Let's figure this out so we have some sort of backup in writing, uh, number one. Number two, you know, I question this, what this guy ultimately knows and kind of what his involvement is because if he knows the list and based on the list, uh, Percival was able to figure out that Satchel is her, you know, how does he not figure it out? Again, I'm not saying that it has to be 100%. Like, Wasn't she using an alias yeah. of Lorraine? Yeah. So, you know, he might have, she might have uh, been able to pull the fast one on him, except for Percival, who was able, I don't know, to be able to go more in depth with it, or I don't know how he figured it out. But. Percival has street smarts. I mean, he mm-hmm. don't don't forget he was an, well, technically he was still an MI six operative who just went off the rails. So he was no dummy. He was just he just knew, he just took his smarts to play every side. So that it was to his benefit, and he can do that in Berlin because it was easy. It was easy pickings for him, and he didn't care to be part of the establishment or MI6. So I, I think to your point, Anthony, is that yeah, I think Percival was smart enough to he could figure out that list 
pretty pretty easily, I, I feel. Because he was no dummy. And it could be to the point where Spyglass probably did know Lorraine's he could have. identity, but because he was in the position that he was in, he was so afraid for his life and for his family. Maybe he was also right. protecting himself and not revealing the fact that he knew. Yeah. More so just to try to cross the, the, the border. Yeah, he might have just he might have just not known. The they might have just been names to him. Yeah. And he had no idea who these names were because wasn't he uh what was he like an accountant? He wasn't a spy per se. Spyglass. I forget. Um, I, I, I again, it just raises so many was. questions that I think if, if 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 something like this, like it should have a singular question: Who is Satchel? Boom, we're trying to figure out that. You, oh, you thought this person was Satchel? It's not. But the fa- there's just too many angles of which are open ended right. that I just don't like it. It I made just, your head spin. I get it. See, I, think, I understand. Yeah, I think the problem with Spyglass is that he, the I think the way he was portrayed is that he was just an unfortunate guy who knew too much information. And he was in the wrong place, at the wrong time, and he just got caught up in the mess, and it unfortunately was just stuck in the middle. Yeah, he well, he wanted freedom. And the only way these people assured him freedom and safety, and he had this information, and he could he could he was going to obtain freedom and, and get to the other side of the wall. And that's the other actually that's another aspect of this movie that I really enjoyed because all of this is happening on the eve of the breaking down of the wall, which is a really big deal. So freedom was going to be obtained, you know, the hope of it happening loomed um, and you definitely saw the different sides of the wall you know and and how West Berlin really did different from the from the um, East from East Berlin and I appreciated that I appreciated that they set this in the 80s because that was a really it was a crazy time there was a cold war going on that we we're you know, it sort of almost feels like we're almost going back into again. But that wall represented so much to so many people for so many different reasons, including the United States of America. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I got, I sort of got and got wrapped up into it all. I, you know, I got lost I in the forest. I get it. <laughs> no, I hear you. And you know what? I, and yeah, part of it's like, like, you know, I, I get it. The, the, the spot. I love you know the spy game the the headiness of it all but we're essentially you know <laughs> the americans were basically like okay well whatever we're going to in order to protect us um to gain information we'll f, f over the brits if we needed that was their buffer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um <laughs> it's <laughs> i don't know how the, the uk feels about this movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that song, London Calling, yeah, they might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. Charlize. <laughs> That's a great song. Um, I, I think maybe I don't know. Like I'm used to Agatha Christie style, mm-hmm. uh, um, the, so like you're making all these other references. But sure. I think Agatha Christie does a great job of setting up a mystery. It's all it's like this one person, but there's 20 people. Let's you know deduce everything, and with all the information we know, and literally take out people one by one until you get the last person right. standing. That's right. usually how it is. And I think this film kind of had that same style, that same approach, where there's so many people who could be the person, right. and then we clearly kill them off one by one. There were a lot of MacGuffins yeah. in this movie, for sure. You know, I mean, Sophia Batella's character, you know, she, she, she could have been called Femme Fatale MacGuffin. <laughs> That's her name. 
she has a first name, a middle name, and a last name. You know, she was French and Irish. Well, <laughs> so what, what, what I appreciate... Ethnically ambiguous. <laughs> in doing kind of research around this, and what I appreciated was, um, was the honesty behind it. Like, to be honest, and this is a scary thought, um, a lot of the agents that they picked, certainly um, in terms of uh, the Brits, you know, were broken down, alcoholic-type people that works because they were expendable. And generally, by the age of 40, like, most people didn't really live past the age of 40. Either they died or, to be honest, they took their own life. So they were no longer a liability with their guilt of over, like, all the crap that they knew. So that portrayal of whether um, Percival or even um, uh, Delphine was fairly accurate, Mm -hmm. but... Just in the, it got lost in the muddle of this movie, and I, I you know, so when you make the point of, uh, Percival was really acting on his own behalf, he wasn't necessarily a double agent. He was playing both sides, but you know, the way you're describing is more of that versus self-interest versus a double agent. Mm-hmm. He could give a f. Well, well, yeah, to but, me, it was self-interest because he had had it with MI6, and he had power in the world that he was living in. He could, he could use his skill to better his life, and. In Berlin at that time period, he, you know, in his mind, he was having a pretty damn good life. He can go to clubs. He knew all the, he knew the underground. He knew the upper ground. He, you know, he knew high society. And he knew the low society. And all for him, he was just a broker of information. But, and, he, but, and, and he could play it like, oh, is your MI6? Oh, yeah, well, you can trust me. I'm your ally here. And he, play, and again, to James McAvoy's credit, I thought he was, he was, he was fun to watch as much of a shitbag as he was. Um, And you really wanted him to get his comeuppance because you just hated him through everybody under the bus. But he was, but but she needed to paint him. If she's recounting the story, she needed to paint him in a, you know, a less self-interest model. Like, I thought she painted him as a crazy guy. Because he was a little crazy. Go ahead, Anthony. I mean, one of the things that the uh, I think the film was trying to do was frame Percival right off the bat as, like, again, like a shitbag, someone not to be trusted, someone that you're not supposed to sympathize, someone that you're supposed to... It's like a red herring to make you assume that this is going to be uh, satchel. And again, the whole uh, film is framed through Charlize Theron's character, and by doing so really sets him up to be the bad guy and everything and so he's like really misunderstood when re- in reality he's actually working for MI6 like through and through while uh, Charlie Theron is the double agent working for the USA playing MI6 and also the KGB and don't forget the story is coming from her perspective uh, yeah she's she has complete control for all we know this could all be wrong yeah right she's the one who's Recounting everything. Okay, um, just I, for my clarity, right? Because I'm getting so lost in the details. <laughs> Satchel, He's was lost. it known that it was a British agent? I don't. I don't no, think the. We just know it's a double agent. We just yeah, know it's a double agent. I don't think the film ever specifies what side Satchel was playing on. Right. Okay, well, well, because only by that fact. You know, when, like, if I was to recount, like, like, recount the story and try to lie to the superiors in that way, we're really kind of, it's between the French, Delphine, and, and, and Percival. Like, who else are you kind of really left with on the menu? The people in Berlin, the Russians. 
the Russians well, are double well, well, agents well, but, towards the Brit. The, like, how does that work? But it was all about trying to get this information. Now, England, MI6 knew there was a double agent. French knew there was a double agent. Obviously, the CIA knows that there's a double agent mm-hmm. that could. Put, they were brought in because this could potentially blow up in in in, in America's face as well. We got to find out who the satchel is and. We've got to protect our own because the CIA was also there because they believed some of their agents' names were on this knock list. Right. And everything was going to be revealed by this list. And again, I I think we've seen this in Bourne movies and stuff. Yeah, like multiple parties are affected by this. Yeah, by this one list. So it went above and beyond just being satchel. It's if this list was going out to the highest bidder. So if it gets into the Kremlin's hands... That's not good, because then they have MI6 agents, they have CIA agents, and they can know who the double agents is. They run the table. So that's why there was the importance of this information and getting it and getting it back. Satchel, to me, was almost... While it became a main thing, it was almost, to an extent, like, for me anyways, at the beginning anyways, it was a little bit secondary. Who is the Satchel person? And to your point, they kept on knocking people off. Mm-hmm. Or making it too easy. And I will say that I not for once did I think that it was um, Sophia Boutella's character. Delphine. Delphine. I actually believe that aspect of the story was true. She, and, and Charlize, Lorraine didn't expand on her relationship with Delphine. But I actually think that she saw a little bit of herself when she was a young spy. And that's what I liked about Delphine because she she even says, her own admission, I got into this because I thought this was going to be exciting. I got into this because maybe she thought she was going to be like a James Bond. But there are higher stakes than, than the glamour of it all. And she was a little bit naive and that's why she's like, you know, you didn't she's have to... She's a lot naive. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to kill her. You know, there was no reason for her to die. And... Um, I actually believe that's one aspect of the story that's true. I believe that Lorraine Broden or Satchel really cared for this Delphine character. I, I felt. In thinking about it, I don't know. I, I, I've just been to too many meetings with higher ups that they're. <laughs> if you know, if you have, quote, this tape that's evidence of who Satchel is, my first question would be Did you get the list? Do you know who Satchel is? No, I didn't get the list, but I know who Satchel is. That's where the conversation would start. And then be like, okay, great. Who the hell's Satchel? All right, well, how are they? Now explain it to me. And why the hell don't you have the list? Still could work as a story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it, the, 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 the narrative of it all isn't uh, But she had to explain her cock up, too. You know, I mean, the thing went south very quick. They, again, the defector didn't defect. <laughs> he got killed. A lot of dead bodies. There was a lot of attention that was... That ended up being paid to, like, like mm-hmm. MI6 doesn't want this attention. The CIA doesn't want this attention. And in trying to cover up her tracks, there was a lot of attention being shown. David Percival, or this Percival character, who, who was an MI6 agent, was bringing attention just by going rogue. And we have to try to rein him in. And then he's going off the rails. So to me, that's the way I was... Looking, they were interrogating her to say, "What the hell happened? What? How could this have gone so south? Yeah, you accomplished your mission, but 
Man, it was messy. It was really messy. <laughs> what she, did you do? She didn't get the list. She didn't accomplish them. I yeah, well, I think it. I'm. I guess if I'm saying anything, it would have played to me. I think better, just linear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It actually would have been to its advantage. Yeah, I think. I I completely agree, but you know, uh, I love nonlinear stories. So I think another reason why I could follow along a little bit more for the predictability sake. But I agree. It was like the narrative was all over the place, and we were spending so much time and so many different people. And I felt like there were some characters they were trying to build up. Like uh, Spyglass had a family to take care of. Delphine right. was like new to this industry, like new <laughs> new to yeah, this industry. world. <laughs> yeah, like new to this world. But like she's getting swept up with it. Like I feel like this is where they try to actually build characters. But it was a little too much for people that we couldn't follow mm-hmm. along. Therefore, we're not. Uh, and then once they actually died, you're like, well, shoot, why did we spend so much time with them if there was no payoff? Yeah. And I think that's what was more frustrating. <laughs> I hear you. Speaking of frustrating, I'm trying to figure out where to even go from here. Well, I mean, I feel like we've know, been spinning our wheels. Yeah, let's, let's, talk, well, let's highlight the good well, stuff. I wanted the to action. talk about this, the, the <laughs> screenwriter. Well, I, no, I do want to talk about the action, but, you know, like. Look, screenwriter Kurt Johnstead, he was approached to pen the script as, as, as an adaptation of the, of the graphic novel that you uh, so quickly glossed over. <laughs> I just had I to get Everyone was dying to get in, so I was like, all right, let me read this at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> I don't this think is where I, it came I'm from. I'm glad he didn't hit a speed bump. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, his father, believe it or not, uh, was a pilot for Pan Am. And uh, he was based in West Berlin during the 60s and then again in the 80s. So he got to spend a lot of time there before the wall fell. So um, creatively, and again, I agree, it was a powerful place to be in the art. The music scenes were thriving. But he also noticed how it felt to be an outpost where danger was lurking. And he wanted to try to convey that heightened sense of peril. So, and I think for the most part, you know, he, well, we definitely got, like I said, the dichotomy between East and West, you know, and as far as a, um, as far as a graphic novel, I not read it. I guess it's a monochromatic or black and white graphic novel, but, um, Theron's team saw the opportunity to take a story that is relentless and committed as well as tough and fun and sexy and explore it fearlessly on screen. So, you know, it was Theron who actually championed this, and she brought it into her production house. And I actually, I give her so much credit. You know, coming up with, she produces this. She knows she's going to act in it. She really is behind this movie a lot. And, and she really she, liked John Wick. <laughs> yeah, right. And and she got to train with those trainers and stuff. We have a great training piece action video thing, but. Uh, Leading independent film finance and production entity, Sierra Affinity. Um, Nick Mayer, who I actually worked with uh, at Lionsgate. He always gets confused with Nicholas Mayer, the director, who did Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, this guy. Poor guy. They'll have an article of him, but they put the other Nick Mayer's picture up. But Nick Mayer and uh, Mark Shaberg finance produced the film, licensed the rights to focus features um, in Universal from much of the world, as well as select high-end independent distributors. So... <clears throat> what makes why they picked it, what makes Atomic Blonde so viable is a strong female protagonist uh, played by Oscar winner Charlize Theron. 
And Theron, and I, and I, I agree. In today's world, nothing could be truer. And to Charlize's credit, she jumped in with both feet. Like, producer, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work at it. And uh, I, I, I can't I fault agree. her. I think, I think they just bit off more than they could chew. Like, you know, I think if the goal was to tell a really cool movie or show, show a really cool movie for the director, it's to kind of highlight the culmination of his, because uh, we haven't really talked about him, but, the, you know, his backgrounds in stunt work. Mm. Um, whether the Matrix Revolution, David and, Leach, yeah. yeah, and he's worked with um, Chad, who's direct. Like they directed John Wick one together, although he doesn't get credit thanks to the DGA. Uh, then he gets hired for this, so he, he leaves John Wick two to do this. So he knows his stunts, and right. he's trying to highlight that. But I think, in some sense, it get, like for my money, it gets too muddled in people's own agendas. And in, in that respect, unfortunately. Okay. But let's. Um, but again, I, I can't discredit the passion towards it. Like, uh, let's let's bring up that video in terms of the training. Sure. Charlize Theron. I, yeah, I, I I take nothing away from her. This is actually. She yeah, is. This is a cool Amazing. video. Yeah, she is. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> This thing that I connected with with Lorraine was the fact that you feel everything. <laughs> She's in the top one percentile of actors to do their own action. She's badass. At first, not knowing her skill level, we were going to break things down, do three or four moves, then cut. Move the camera over here, a couple moves, cut. But then when we saw her abilities, that really was the light bulb for us of like, we've got something special here, let's try to push this. That's it, that's it. So I changed the directives to the choreography team to like go big and build it out. And we'll do longer takes and we'll do more complex moves because she could do 20 moves without cutting. I had incredible teachers who were incredibly patient with me. She would train with different martial arts drills. Right from the beginning, it was very clear the way I was going to fight, how a woman would really be able to fight and not break every bone in her fist. Because she's a woman and she's fighting men, if they use one hand, she would use two. Or if they try to throw a punch, she would throw three. Or use the environment around her to gain an advantage. It was really intense. Yeah. Stunt guys took so many hits. I had to buy a lot of alcohol to be forgiven, but there were no injuries. There were absolutely nothing. Or so they told me. So I don't know. Maybe they went home and cried. I chose this life, and someday it's going to get me killed. But not today. Yeah. <laughs> That's She's a cool face. Yeah, she is. That scene in the bathtub with all the ice, mm. she's getting out, and I'm like, well, I was like saying to myself, are those actual bruises maybe? <laughs> How much makeup is involved? <laughs> because it really looked as if everybody took some hits. Well, she did. She, <laughs> yeah, she, she did. Uh, uh, not because of a taking a hit, but um, she had her jaw clenched, and uh, she had to get two teeth kind of repaired. Yeah. From the process, so you know. Suffer um, for your art. And by the way, her, <laughs> her and her and uh, Keanu Reeves did train, as as we 
main mention. Um, but they got really competitive, which um, which I appreciate. Which I think you know, um, it, it, it's a weird kind of interesting, you know, because because Chad and um, and David both worked on Matrix Revolution, so I think they benefited from the idea of long takes and so forth. Um, and Keanu, through those movies, benefits um, from learning martial arts. And so right. if he's having to push Charlize through this, she's going to be at a very high level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's awesome when, I mean, Charlize, like, she's a great actress and she's a great fighter. Don't ever freaking mess with her. Um, I, I really like that. And it, it speaks, you know, so many different things when they change a movie's style because of her style. Right. And and I think that's where this film actually you know succeeds in the stylistic aspect. Visually, it was awesome to watch. Um, everyone loves a good fight scene, you know, and especially when you feel all the punches and, and the hits and the kicks. And girl has legs for days, so yeah, she kicked a lot. Um, it's fun to watch, and I, I think it's really cool when it shows like she is a strong character and she's a physical st- strength. You know, like she's literally a strong character. Yeah, and and I think that's. Very intriguing to watch on screen. Yeah, and the movie goes at great lengths that outside of you being shot in the head or whatever, you know, people don't die easily. No. <laughs> they, they, they die hard, uh, pretty much. And mm-hmm. to an extent, I found, you know, we've talked about John Wick, and not that I hate the John Wick movies, but there is a definite pattern to the violence, you know? One in the chest, two in the head. One in the chest, two in the head. And I'm not going to, you know, I won't underplay Keanu's physical prowess and ability because those fight scenes, too, are pretty exciting. They don't go to the lengths that I think Atomic Blonde does. Atomic Blonde, like, it just reminds... All I kept on thinking was there's a fight scene in this John Carpenter movie called They Live between Roddy Roddy Piper yes. and David Keith, right? Yeah, I know exactly what grueling. you're talking about. Yeah, it's a grueling, and it lasts for, like, about 15 minutes. Yeah, it's so surreal. And by the time that the fight's over, even both the characters are like, huh, okay. <laughs> and in this movie, I got the same sense. Like, when she gets slammed up against that wall, both those both the characters in this movie are having a hard time just getting up. And she gets thrown little, down the stairs. She gets thrown down like stairs. A full flight of stairs, several times. And, and then there's a car chase. <laughs> So, I would, and, and it looked as if it were one take. That scene Which to me wasn't. was... It you was clearly tell Right. The way it was choreographed, put together, I thought it was really solid. And in Action of Summer, I felt that it was, for me, it was at least original in major part because of Charlize. And that. I, I agree. I just, you know, I'll go back to the point of uh, at what cost. That's all. At what cost. Um... But I, you know, I, I did, you know, I loved it in smaller doses. Like um, at the when when she goes to the apartment, and she's checking it out, and and you know she's sort of found. Um, I like that action scene because I felt it was just long enough, but not too long. Right. Versus, you know, no, if I, like if I'm just watching the standalone bit. Um, and by the way, um, I think there's. I do think there's a video. Uh, someone's mentioned. I, I haven't found it yet, but um, someone's writing about it, um, where there's a whole video of the actual ten minute sequence, which I'm surprised that they kind of let out, where they, where uh, David is actually um, talking about it and really breaking it down. Oh, okay. So it's interesting to me that they would allow that footage 
to sort of not leak, but like even just release it. Well, don't forget too with John Wick. I think that's what helped perpetuate some of the popularity of John Wick. They released a lot of that stuff of Keanu training. Whether it be what I'm talking about the actual sequence. Well, but they they did a little bit of that too, you know, in with Wick and showing and giving away. Mm -hmm. Let's call it the magic, and that's how we got. Wow, like that's how you see. Holy cow, Keanu Reeves is really doing that. That I think that draws people in, and when you see, oh my god, Charlie Theron is really doing that. This is how this was filmed. Oh my head, that's that that's amazing. You know, from a from a promo standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's a good idea. You two brought up the both of you brought up some good points though. And in a sense the marketing and I know I'm a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but it was a double edged sword because it was almost a, a bait and switch. This movie really made it look more John Wickish. No. That we get not that they the action that we saw in the trailers was in the movie. I mean, it was all in the movie, but I was like, there was one scene in particular, like that they showed a lot of, but they intercut it with other scenes. But it's the scene where she takes the gun out of the ice cube bucket, right. it, you know. And I was well, like, thinking, actually, that's the yeah. beginning yeah. of the trailer. And I'm exactly, and I'm like going, when's that scene gonna come in? <laughs> like, when's that scene gonna happen? Oh, it's at the end of the movie, you know. But um, no less a great scene. <laughs> she was, but she was I awesome. think, but I think it was yeah. a little bit of a bait and switch. Yeah. Like, a little. I, I agree if we're, we're talking about the trailer. I saw the trailer <clears throat> so many times. I, I feel this is one of those moments where the trailer literally shows the whole movie because if you take the action out of this film, what else do you have? A, very, a lot of dialogue. A very convoluted story that no one can follow. And Stoli and smoking. Stoli and yes. smoking. <laughs> I actually counted how many times we saw drinks. Uh, like her actually I couldn't count like the cigarettes but like I counted anywhere from five to six glasses of her just drinking <laughs> what's the what's the initial guy's name like Stago whatever his name is Spyglass Smoking and Stoli that's the name of this movie <laughs> that's what it should be called so um, just going back to to, to Charlize Theron uh, I know that she used some of her ballet training uh, for the fighting, which which is seen, she gets a leg up on everybody. It's choreography. Uh, um, some good choreography, and she did begin training less than two months out from Mad Max Fury Road, too. Mm. Another action movie that she's in. I I don't know if there's anything if there's much she can't do from winning an Oscar, being in Monster. We talked about her, and I thought she was very special and funny in a million ways to die in the West. She could be in yeah. Matt. Yeah, she was but really good. She's also, funny. like another film that a lot of people might not remember, Aeon Flux. Aeon Flux. That was an action movie. She did fight a lot in that too. Mm -hmm. so. And and she could do comedy. She can very much do drama. And I really felt that in this movie, she again. I'm not kidding. I, I really felt that with a stare, you can tell that she was either working things out. Or she was feeling empathy or sympathetic. Like when, whenever she had her scenes with um, Sophia Boutella's um, Delphine. Delphine's character, I really felt that she really wanted to take her under her wing. She wanted to protect her um, because of her naivete. And again, that wasn't by dialogue. I just felt it was more by expression. And I thought that, and again, that to me is fresh in a kind of movie this way that you don't. 
you don't have a female character as the lead, and you have a female character who actually can emote. And that, to me, was important. I bought that she could do that very well. If it doesn't, you know, it, like, even from the perspective of you're <clears throat> recounting this, why would you recount, like, oh, this is the girl I love? Because they brought that into question of, like, I was just using her to figure out information. So why are you recounting more? If you're not recounting it, why the hell we watch it? Like, it's just that incongruence of, well, why? Yeah, and people have been questioning, you know, this particular relationship between Delphine and Lorraine. And I was trying to justify it myself. Um, so several different things came up to mind that it, it shows that Delphine's probably the only person that actually allowed Lorraine to be as closest to human as human as possible like she can emote she can have feelings she can be sympathetic um she can actually get you know a real person without lying to anyone and actually speaking right. the truth like she's most comfortable when she's doing like by herself in the, in that sense and she can maybe trust someone yeah i felt like delphine showed the humanity within lorraine i, I while agree. she's being swept up in this mad world with all these other you know agents that she's dealing with and um people um but also people are also saying this was gratuitous i did think it was a little bit gratuitous you know the 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 lovemaking i was like yeah visually it's stunning for people who enjoy that um but also was it necessary especially because we see this relationship is building up for her to get information out of her and charlie's theron even says in interviews like she liked this relationship because it it explored the idea that Lorraine is willing to go to any lanes to get whatever information. That's how dedicated she was to being an agent. It's like, all right, I get that, knowing that fact. But also, with the the death of Delphine at the end, by the time we got the information, the little snippets that she finally got, it felt like it was information the audience already knew. Therefore, when Delphine died, we're like, okay, we knew that already sucks i'm sorry she well died. maybe in the trailer but I, I don't know i i didn't find it gratuitous not because it was not because it was girl on girl action it this is a very this is a rated r movie okay these are like this is a very rated this is a rated r adult movie like i have no problem i didn't find that it pushed the envelope uh there was a hell of a lot more saying in a movie like showgirls which came out many years before I didn't find it gratuitous. I actually was what I was surprised as to it sort of worked. Like I didn't, I didn't scoff at it. I didn't believe in it. And I thought, I thought it really did build the relationship. And I, and I find, I agree with you and just seeing what I had said earlier, this was the one true thing in her life that she actually sort of felt for. That was a truth that she obviously had, um, Hid from her superiors at MI6 and telling her story. But I actually felt that that was one true thing and that she was really bummed out when Percival kills her. And she, and she even says, you know, there was no reason. You didn't have to kill her. Like, there's, you didn't have to. That was just mean. Like, that well, was mean. Technically, he did. But she didn't have any information. Yes, she did. She had the she, photos. The photos Later of, on that of, she him. Found. Yeah. of him, of and him. so right. he he was trying but, to kill her so he could then sell the list and be like, hey, she was satchel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had every motive to kill her. Yeah. She didn't. He, he didn't have 
But to me, I don't know. I, I was probably, no, of course I, you I, like, I think I were just no, well, you're right. What I was saying, I was more upset with this relationship because it didn't have a big enough payoff right. at the end. So, well, it, going to the sex scene. Number one, it almost it almost didn't happen. Uh, originally planned. Um, long story short, she was originally a male character. Uh, they just changed in the graphic novel. Lorraine is shown seducing him, um, but you don't see any of the sex. And I think it's cool. And they did a gender flip. And uh, Theron was like, "Sure, that's fine. Why not? We'll build this up." And I actually think it makes. A, I think it. If it were a male character, maybe you wouldn't sympathize as much. And I think that the way Sophia Boutella played Delphine. She had she did, an innocence, yeah. She did have an innocence to Definitely. her. Definitely. She, she was the, you know, she was the, the fresh green person in, in all of us. I, I think it was more so that, uh, like, uh, I think I mentioned this on uh, another popcorn talk show, <laughs> action movie anatomy, so plug them as well because they cover this film. Um, I, I felt like it, I don't mind Sophia Botella's at all. I like the fact that if you didn't have Delphine, what other woman do you have in this film other than Lorraine? This is a sausage fest movie. And so I'm the glad. The wife. I'm just saying. No. Okay. But who said what? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just. Like, what line does she have? Exactly. Um, there isn't. Other than, like, Lorraine was a great lead. Love, love, and I'm all about female, you know, lead characters, as you can tell with all the other movies we talk about. I'm all about that. But if you didn't have, Lorraine's the only female. So I'm glad that they added another female to kind of balance that out a little bit. I kind of find that ironic that you say that because I think this film does pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, I oh, think definitely. so too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, no, it does. Like, and, I don't know. And to David Leach, yeah, and I'm all for that. You know, it, but to David Leach, you know, he says LaSalle's character represents naivety and innocence that Lorraine has obviously lost, right? And then for a moment, she cracks and shows humanity in a world of lies where you really can't trust anyone. And she was really important part of the story, so they just expanded it a bit. And I think they really did a good job. And 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 again to one more time I apologize for being redundant but I, I do think that it was a true moment for Broughton's character or Satchel um, in this because it was she looked upon her as maybe how she may have been at that age or time in her life when she signed on to be CIA or I'm like whatever it is that she is um, and I think that they both played it off very well and I didn't find it gratuitous and or exploitive I actually, it worked for me. And, and in today's world, when we're talking about transgender, bi, homosexuality, having it in there, to me, just seemed run-of-the-mill. I wasn't offended by it, and I thought it was handled yeah. very, very well yeah. by both the actresses. I thought yeah. Sophia Batella is growing to be a really right. solid no, she's actress. Great. I, I love the fact that there is another woman lost within <clears throat> this world that Lorraine could confide in. Mm. I, I was all about that. Yeah. Um, any other story elements before we move on to uh, more of the production side of things, which I know we kind of jumped no, out the forth. No, let's go into uh, production. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so, I mean, in some sense, we've kind of talked a lot about the action. Uh, um, so I, uh, where should we jump off? I mean, there's interestingly enough, in terms of the way they did it, there was a, a big connection between the way they edited it and obviously the way they were shooting um, where pretty much both were kind of happening hand in hand 
Um, I believe, Marissa, these are a lot of your notes. So I'll yeah. let you jump in. I, I, found, I found this really interesting. The editor, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to completely butcher She's his from name. Iceland. And yes. it's a girl. Yeah. Um, the editor, uh, you can read down, uh, read or run down. But usually in production, like especially like big moves like, such as this, that the editor is usually not the one on set. But she was there, like watching the dailies, and they were pretty much editing uh, simultaneously while filming, so they can have things match, a lot of footage match, and you know, synchronized and choreographed to the moves and stuff. So you, the editor had like already real time on set experience and in the visualization of actually putting it together, which usually everything's filmed beforehand, and then you put it all together later. She had the real time one on one during it yeah which which creates a great feedback loop absolutely um when when you're afforded that so um definitely work to their advantage um in that sense so and in that scene that we're talking to they're mastered up 30 moves of choreography okay for one continuous scene that they shot again and again and in one bit of staging she had to slam a stunt performer playing a boat and attacker into a collapsible wooden table. And the props and sec- decoration departments were kept busy replacing not only the piece of furniture, but also numerous uh, other items. And they actually came down to their very, very last table. And they're like, Ooh, we got to get this one right. <laughs> it's, it's our last table. Well, to the, to, you know, even the table, right? Um, it was interesting to learn that glass doesn't shatter in the way that you think. Like most right. tables are made, so it kind of stays compact, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. They had to, uh, in a sense, put ex- not explosives, but you know, a way to help make it shatter even more, so it's visually appealing. Um, so that was that was kind of new for me to learn because yeah, movies have historically always the glass shatters and it goes everywhere. Right, and a lot of times, for the the majority of the time during filmmaking, is that when you have, whenever you see glass shattering, it's usually like sugar sheets. Right, 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 right. That actually breaks down and is it's thick enough on camera that you can see pieces um, uh, disintegrating in in that sense. And the cool thing about like the editing, because it was such a long sequence that went from shot to shot in different angles and stuff. That's why they had to be on set. So they made sure once they panned the camera to this angle, it actually matched up to when they change the yeah. actual camera angle. So that's where the, the synchronization and everything actually in order had to match up, and they had to be on set to make sure that happened. Yeah, and the editing also had another another challenge on their side. Uh, this I hadn't known either, but um, McAvoy had actually broken his arm a few weeks before filming. So I thought the cast was a prop for they, they, oh, made it it work. Yeah. they made it work. They made it work, but from an editing standpoint, they had to block, then edit him carefully uh, because of him breaking, you know, having his arm. And they had to capitalize on the imagery of his character sporting a cast, realizing that it spoke volumes about his recklessness. So that, that <laughs> the cast actually became a believable prop, which you go, oh... Because I was wondering, what the hell does he have a cast on for? Is that part of I the thought character? to hide um, any... any um... Which we came and showed it did. Mice. Hi. Yeah. Um, and, but then, you know, uh, McAvoy had his... Uh, <clears throat> unlike, you know, I mean, Theron had to escape injury. He narrowly escaped uh, some serious injury during the shoot when he secured 
Uh, he was secured into the driver's seat of the 80s Porsche 911. He was doing his own driving for a scene where Percival saves Broden. And on the seventh or eighth take, the handbrake didn't set, so he kept going right into the camera crew. Oh, jeez. Or right towards the camera crew. And he had to force the wheel and the foot brake, and finally he was able to... He was stopped by a wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he was a little bit shaken. Um, but, you know, uh, hey, what, what did you say? Uh, sacrifice for art? Or what did you say um, earlier? Yeah, you suffer for your you art. You suffer for your art. It happens. Um... Let's speaking of art. Let's talk about. I mean, this this music, this uh, movie is littered with music, um, and some on the nose like London Calling. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, they they give it a good '80s feel, um, and so let's kind of break it down. Um, I know Dimitri had mentioned you want to talk about David Bowie in particular. Um, so want to kick us off there? Yeah, and again, um, the, the song "Putting Out the Fire with Gasoline." was the main song to Cat People, uh, starring Natasha Kinski. And that was a big hit in the 80s, but it was a big hit from that movie soundtrack. It was the theme. It was the theme. I mean, that's echoed throughout the movie. I haven't seen it in ages, but I obviously remember that. And I can't recall a movie ever... Well, this is a main theme to this movie, and we're going to make it a a theme in this movie. Um, What I really love, though, about the soundtrack... And I'm just trying to get back to... Well, David Bowie, um, cast and crew were big fans. And upon the filming, they had actually reached out to him. They wanted him because he was so iconic, particularly uh, within this whole Berlin wall, uh, uh, the coming down of the wall. They wanted him in the movie. And they actually reached out. And he was going to be... uh, probably playing the man behind the glass. He was going to be in the interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he had politely declined. And it wasn't uh, that they were going to use his music. And uh, it was uh, some weeks into filming that he had passed. And they had played, you know, that they had their own little memorial, so to speak, for him by playing his music. But they really felt that because Bowie... Bowie has had renaissances, but particularly in the 80s, where he became very big again. Uh, but this putting out the fire with gasoline is, is one such song. The, the, what I loved about this soundtrack, though, is above and beyond going to, what did you say, Pandora's 80s? Yeah, Pandora's 80s station. Yeah. Above and beyond that, though, they were playing different versions of songs that we don't normally hear on serious, you know... 80s on 8 or or Pandora's 80s. They were playing versions of songs that were different, so I wasn't hearing the same old licensed song of 99 Luft Balloons. I heard that, but then I got another version of it. That was really cool. And that's one of the things I liked about this movie. It didn't go by the rote. Let's get what we can easily license. Let's get the stuff. Let's get that same song, but let's get this version of it. That was popular. It's recognizable Maybe. enough. It's, yeah. Well, I they really did have that, that MTV like uh, news announcement that sampling's taking over. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That was very on the nose. I laughed at that. That was funny. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, it's basically plagiarism. Yeah, it's a basic... <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough, um, you know, you would think for the most part that they would kind of cut to the music that they had the soundtrack in mind. They, you know, we talk about it with Guardians of the Galaxy where he's very meticulous in picking out the music that, that will fit the script. 
Um, this, you know, they didn't really focus on that. Apart from the David Bowie stuff that they knew was very iconic, the rest of it was just like we got to edit a scene, um, we got to make it good, and you know what will follow will follow. Like that's the normal progression of of uh, you know m- filmmaking for the most part, right. and that's what they chose to do, um, which is actually surprising in, in some ways because you know you take a movie like Baby Driver, that thing is choreographed to right. music. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's as much a musical. Where again, this wasn't even source music. But it was used. I mean, it was at times with the cars and yeah. But the trailer was the a club, music video. Yes, it was edited to music. And but to me, it also helped drive this movie. Not that I'm not calling this music movie a musical by any stretch, but it did help. Like you, you recognize the songs. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, all right, this is a really great song. Now, in the sound system, the theater that I saw this in, the music sounded awesome. Uh, I, I have the soundtrack, and I played it, and, and it's really 80s. It's eclectic. We talk about Charlize Theron and what she can't do. I really don't know because she she was a DJ on 80s on 8, Sirius Satellite, you know, Sirius XM 80s on 8, and she, quote-unquote, took over to promote Atomic Blonde, and she was a DJ, and I got to say, she was awesome as a DJ. It was great listening to her. And she got to talk about her love of 80s music. And, uh, yeah, she was fantastic. I really, I, I enjoyed listening to this soundtrack as much for the songs, the versions of the songs that I knew, and for the versions of the same songs that were just different. I appreciated that. Um, absolutely. So, um, Anthony, you have anything? You've kind of been quiet for a while. You got anything to add about music? Um well, at first, I didn't, I'm not sure if I liked the whole two versions of 99 Left Balloons, and I was, like, joking with my friend, like, they couldn't find anything else in that genre and from that time frame to uh, to play. But then again, I thought about it. I was like, what was really popping in 1990s Berlin, you know, that we as you Americans... You have to go back to your repertoire? That we as <laughs> Americans can be like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Like, no, it's like 99 Left Balloons and uh, whatever else was mentioned, which, personally, I wasn't really... Um, too familiar with, unfortunately. Um, but it was still fun. It was, yeah, the music was, was a good touch. I liked it. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the slow rendition of 99 Left Balloons. It, yeah. was, uh, <laughs> it was quite something. Yeah. I loved Under Pressure. That's um, great. I uh-huh. think that was like really, yes. you know, putting the, yeah. the nail on the coffin. Yeah, it was pretty on the nose. That <laughs> was on the nose. Like, done. Yep. <laughs> done. I think a lot of their songs were uh, were definitely on the nose. For yeah, the and London movie. Calling too was 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 yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, I really enjoy. Like again, this, this music didn't get in the way of things at all. Um, uh, no, I well, I here's the thing, I would argue quite the opposite. I mean, thankfully it was there because I probably would have gotten bored sooner. <laughs> Fair, Fair enough. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> all so, right. Um, so there you have it. Um, well, uh, can we talk a little bit too about another main central character in this movie? Is the Berlin Wall, sure. Um, which actually they used Budapest to double for Berlin. Gotta <laughs> love Budapest. Gotta love Budapest. Well, in Berlin, it's the tax it's, credits. Well, it's, yeah, well, everybody films in Budapest. Well, you know, go figure. Berlin has changed quite a lot since 1989. <laughs> so, with significant renovation and architectural uh, additions. There's no longer the same textures, but Budapest has stunning old abandoned buildings that they could have used. And uh, so there you go. The Hungarian capital was also dressed up to stand in for London and Paris. And some wider streets were found to uh, effectively emulate the latter city. 
Mm-hmm. So go Budapest. Um, and, but regarding the wall, they created a 250-foot-long, 12-foot-high, wood-based recreation of the Berlin Wall, built in several sections so so it could be portable. And this cinematic version was hauled to various locations in Budapest, in Budapest as the backdrop. And then they hired local graffiti artists to capture the, 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 the feel of the 80s and barricades in the manner similar to how citizens and visitors express, them, express themselves decades ago in the actual Berlin Wall. So, and if you notice on the east side, the west side did not have any of that yeah. at all. That's why it's a really big deal for when that wall came down. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, which I think is... It, it, well, and plus, it is a Cold War spy story. So, I, I like that. And, and, and the visualization of that, um, it, it obviously <clears throat> felt very cold, felt very um, neon, if you right. will. Um, it's, it was definitely saturated. Right. If it had it not been for the neon lights, the, the practical neon lights, it would have been a very gray, kind of monochromatic feel to it. Sure. And But it definitely sent that environment that is it is a cold kind of lifeless place although there's a lot of death involved so I, I definitely got that that tone for it and i think it was great i love the atomic <laughs> colors the, the neon yeah. I'm, like i'm currently coordinated to that this is as you atomic are. as i'm gonna get um, <laughs> yeah. but i loved it it was visually stunning like even the opening shot when she's in the bathtub it's like it's all blue and oh. then there uh, when she was in the hotel at night it was blue and pink and purple it's right. like visually pretty yeah pretty. And, and you're right too and, and cinematographer jonathan sailor and he conceived how the palette should be and so we were muted in gray in the london scenes but come out with more color than expected in berlin as you're saying oversaturated mm-hmm. particularly well well here we go i have everything mixed up particularly with the west and its punk movements to go with richness and vibrancy um, Sailor utilized the Alexa cameras and anamorphic lenses to capture a widescreen uh, imagery. So frame shots of stunning, um, crumbling buildings that are instead isolated narrow streets. Um, in researching Berlin at that time, he was surprised as to just how colorful it was. And that motivated us to go to super saturation. Um, you know, we made use of blue, blue, yep, like you blue. are, and uh, and pink neon, notably in the bar where Broughton and Delphine first meet. That bar, by the way, is, is that that was a fun scene. It was a great, it was a great scene. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, it's and you can see the color contrasts too, mm-hmm. which was you know really well done. Definitely, and I think the one scene that like really stood out was that final scene when she's in the hotel. That was the warmest color scene. Uh, that, and that's the first scene in the trailer that you know promotes the whole film. It's orange, it's yellow, it's warm. Right. It's a completely different look because that scene isolated can definitely tell the audience that she's in a completely different location, dealing with completely different people, working on a completely different case. And it's at the tone too, like like you're saying mm-hmm. to expand. You know the visual contrast between east and west are there not only to express the political goings-on of the time, but they also gave helped give us, the audience, a track or a color code to the story. Mm-hmm. Which side are we on? Like, So if you change that color code, you don't physically have to see them going to that side of the wall. You just sort of kind of, oh, okay, no, we're here. No. 
So um, very interesting for a cinematographer and the challenges that had to go through. I liked it, and they, they, you can definitely <clears throat> tell visually like the, the, the different changes, too, because during that whole 8 and 12-minute sequence that she's fighting, she clearly says the line, I have to get back to this side. Right. And but during that fight, it was like that was saturated, and then when she crossed the wall, like you, it had a completely different feel, completely different look with the lighting because she's back at her hotel. Right, like, you can tell the two stark contrast. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, did you like the look of the film? I did overall. Yeah, I thought yeah. the look what look. <laughs> I, I again, the 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 real pain of this movie is that there there's so much good stuff. Take the characters. And just make a different movie, mm-hmm. and I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, it just suffered by the weight of the plot and 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 its structure in yeah. a sense. One other character we haven't really spoke about, but it was a, maybe it's not a, it's a prop, but it's integral to the story was the watch, the mm-hmm. actual yeah. which which uh, held the. That'll get me so angry. Damn MacGuffin. It, well, well the, but that also kind of gave me that MI6 feel of James Bond, him and his watch, well, and the it's, Amiga, and it's the that. watch, and this is a, but this is a another high-end type of watch, Carl F. Uh, Boucher watch timepiece, and it was provided by the company for the production, and they actually had to have a technician from that watch company from Germany to assist in the in the maintenance of the watch, to take it apart, it. put it together. Um, so uh, I thought that that was very, uh, uh, I, I thought that that was very, being a watch person myself, and yes, I am Omega as opposed to Carla Boucher, but uh, I just found that uh, that was interesting. The bar sequence that we talked about, a rough trade bar sequence, um, believe it or not, um, it was filmed uh, at a defunct Budapest cabaret, and you'll like this, uh, you'll appreciate this, it was modeled after the famed Moulin Rouge. I love Moulin Rouge. I literally watched that movie on Saturday again. So good. <laughs> I'm sorry, and your head's still on you. Didn't explode. <laughs> I love that film. What are you talking about? Right, uh, moving on. I digress. That's funny. All good. Uh, so let's talk pure numbers here. Um, overall, uh, well, uh, I was I was actually surprised with the fairly low budget that this film was. It was only thirty, 30 million. million. That's because eighty million tight. went to advertising. <laughs> yeah, that's it was everywhere. Um, yeah. I I think they did a good job. But by the way, I don't know if eighty million is actually the number of the budget for the advertising, but it was just it everywhere. Could be. I mean, because that's an extra fifty mm-hmm. when you're thinking about it. So I mean, if your production budget is thirty, fifty is nothing, and it was. I mean, well, out here in L.A., sometimes I just wonder. We're in Los Angeles here, so we see a lot of movie advertising, and a lot of it, a lot of it out here too, is set up by ego. I mean, there's certain reasons why certain billboards will have a particular <laughs> piece of advertising is because they know a certain exec will drive by that every day, every morning, and every going home and. So it's strategically placed. But we see a lot of movie advertising here, whether it be billboard, bus, or whatever. Someplace out in the Midwest isn't going to see it as much. Oh, so I just no. wonder. I don't know. And, I, and I'll say that because okay. I was just in the Midwest. I didn't see any advertisements <clears throat> for this film. Yeah. I only saw it on television out here in California. 
Mm-hmm. So it's very, you saw very, nothing on, it's you, very true. You didn't see anything on TV back home? No, and there, there's no billboards or, or like actual, the, the media promotion that it's so heavily featured out here was nowhere in the Midwest. Yeah, and it, it, currently as of August 3rd, right, 25 million, 25.8. Um, here's the thing. It, it came, it's opening weekend, it did 18 million. It came in at number four. Um, 3,300 plus locations, which is a pretty decent release. Focus features, uh, falls under the umbrella of Universal, but they have their own distribution wing. They advertise the hell out of it, at least from what we saw. <laughs> you know, but, her, but you know, I'm going to say this. I, obviously, I like the movie better than you fine folk, and that's, in, but, but, but the conversation, I think, has been fantastic. I, this is what I love, and people who will get in on the discussion. I, I like this. This is fantastic. Me thinking that this is a really good movie and me believing that Charlize Theron, who produced this movie, who starred and acted in this movie, right? It didn't get enough of that. We're, we're, in, this, we're in this world where we want, we're trying to promote more women getting better, beefier roles, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and here's a prime example of a movie in my opinion, it didn't suck. I know its reception on Rotten Tomatoes was, I believe, a 75. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. with a B- minus for cinema score. With a B- minus in cinema score. I'll go back. I think that was a little bit marketing bait and switch. But still, 75% isn't awful, okay? Where are the women? Like, you know, Patty Jenkins, I follow on Twitter, and we talked over hype last week, right? And some people took me to task and said, well, what about Wonder Woman? And Wonder Woman, when it came out, I'm a big fan of the movie. I think it's the best DC movie. And there was a lot of talk because of a female director, because of a female protagonist. And it's, and it's reached some amazing milestones, which I congratulated for. And I was, I was hoping that that's going to open up the door. But I'm at the point where I'm tired of hearing about Wonder Woman, considering that we've had other women movies out there. Megan Levy being one of them. You and oh, I talked about love it. I still talk about Megan Levy. 33 how much, days to DVD, Jason. How much publicity did that movie get for being the None. good movie that it was? No. This movie, not so much. Like, Patty Jenkins, didn't she direct Monster? And again, maybe, maybe I missed it because I'm not always on Twitter. So maybe, but wouldn't it have behooved Patty Jenkins? Like, yay, Wonder Woman's great. Hey, my good friend Charlize produced a movie and she's kick-ass in it you gotta promote it and you gotta go to these movies like if you don't like they can't just be superhero movies and i'm glad ladies night out has done a modicum of good business too girls night girls, girls night. trip sorry. Girl, girls, girls trip, trip. sorry girls sorry trip. girls Rough trip. night <laughs> but that was a comedy and you know and, and that's gotten a modicum of of publicity and press but nowhere near what it should be getting this movie, nowhere near what it should be getting. If you want this equality, you've got to fight for it. You've got to go out there. I fight for it. I think it's amazing. She produced this movie because she felt it was great for the woman role. for, for there. And she wasn't. She passes that Becknell test. Bechtel. Be- Bechtel. You've got to get... You have to support these movies. If you want more of them... And they don't just have to be superheroines. I mean, she's a kick-ass spy. 
and whether or not there's additional Laura Broughton movies depends on you going and coming in fourth doesn't necessarily convince a studio speaks volume that we're gonna make another movie and yet this movie wasn't awful I've seen awful movies but this movie championed the woman. It championed the woman experience, and it was headed by a woman. May not be have been directed by, but Charlize was clearly the driving force, and she chose to act in it because she loved that this character was strong and smart, and she could remain sexy too. Yeah. That to me is important. And if we really want to do this rally cry, and we really want more women in film to be, play bigger roles. You've got to support the ones that are out there doing it and working hard to bring that to fruition. So, yes, enough about Wonder Woman. Focus on Atomic Blonde a little. Maybe you don't like it as much as Wonder Woman. You can't take your child to Atomic Blonde. I get it. But um, Girl's Trip was rated R2. It's a raunchy comedy. Focus on making these women movies popular, and then Hollywood is going to get it in their heads to put more women in film. That's, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Oh, fair enough. I will say this. Um, yes, hand clap. Thank you, Marissa. Um, you know, it's tough for me because I'm not in love with this movie. However, I would love to see a better version. You know, I'm down for a sequel. You know, I am. I Truthfully, I, I love the characters. I think there's a whole world to really explore. I think the language is exciting. I just don't think they finessed it enough. For what this was, and so I would have loved to see a better first effort, but I'm willing to give it a second. I got the sequel title already. Yeah, what's that? The Furious? No, it's going to be Nuclear Bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. It could be Atomic Brunette. Who cares? I I think what what I... She looked awesome as Brunette. She she did. She was awesome. Um, (laughs) What I liked about this film, the characters were great. Arguably so. Like uh, Lorraine, she was awesome. You want you were rooting for her the entire time. Charlize, her acting was phenomenal, despite her British accent. But yeah. once you get over that, like you can actually, this is a performance you can watch and enjoy. I think this film suffers for the story mm. development, okay. and that's where it brings the average of this film down not because of the performance and how it was actually shown visually or and how it was executed but because of the story Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i have to completely agree with you uh the performances were like on point um i think the film overall does uh get hurt by the story and how it's structured um i just want to say like one of my favorite parts of the film was uh james mcavoy's character and also Charlene Theron's uh, fight scenes, which I thought were really great. Also, I was thinking about it. This one idea, I don't know um, if, if it's right or not. I'll bounce it off you guys. It's um, Could this movie, uh, in a way, serve as an allegory for women in film uh, fighting their way through the crowds of men to be able to establish their own identity in this film world? But in this sense, it's like she's keeping, she's trying to keep her identity secret. But in this film, she's like going through crowds. She's just, Busting through men. Listen, I'm not gonna it disagree with you. Check out the brain on Brad. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not gonna yeah, well, go and defend that. It, def- it definitely could be, and I think also the, the fact that the story is actually placed in yeah. a historic time might be another thing why it's getting maybe lost within the shuffle of everything else. Yeah, it could be. But, but yes, I completely agree with the allegory. This is does it is reflective of now's day, 
now today of people mm-hmm. the women are still fighting to get positions and opportunities within this industry but then uh you know being having proper screen time and everything so yeah absolutely yeah I and yeah i think so and don't we also forgot she played she was the main villain in the last fast and furious movie well, that's why I'm, I'm jokingly saying that's the sequel yeah <laughs> and she was she was a great villain in, in that movie I'm just saying, for a movie that's not miserable, that's not in the 20 percentiles, that, that, that doesn't demean women, I don't know, just throw some support. I think Charlize Theron picked a good project. I enjoyed it. I understand. I enjoyed it more than everyone else. Yeah. I think it's a good, solid film. Those are my final I'd thoughts. watch the I, sequel. Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. I would watch uh, Dimitri, the sequel, too. Yeah. All righty. Well, we stand <laughs> somewhere in the middle, but we surely... Stand nonetheless to support women, so there you have it. Are you 75% or are you lower than the 75 or 73, whatever it is in Rotten Tomatoes? I don't it's, mm. it's, it's, it's Which, I would give 40. it around there because of the story. <clears throat> i give next, it a solid 75, yeah. 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 And I, next week, I, I've already got my soapbox for Rotten Tomatoes and such, but yeah, I'm a little bit higher, but hey, wait, did you say lower than 75? I said 40. Wow. 40. I didn't love this movie. Okay, so. fair. fair enough. Okay. Sorry. A lot of good stuff. Make a sequel. Make it good. I'm in. Just this one. No. Yeah, better story. Better story. <laughs> All right, better ladies story. and gentlemen. Thank you guys, That's as so always, long. at Serafini TV. That's right. We'll continue to be ironic. We'll continue to be ironically told about. <laughs> yep. Uh, at D Movies 1701. Thanks. Support me, please. What the hell is your Twitter, Anthony? Uh, it's actually Absurd Panda 1002. What the, who the hell is going to remember that? <laughs> right? Absurd Panda 1002. Yeah, I don't have a lower third for myself. But. All right. Uh, at Movie Anatomy, at The Popcorn Talk. Check out past episodes we've done. We've covered a lot of Charlize Theron movies, uh, including Fate of the Furious. And, and a lot of... We, did we do... I, I, I saw Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, but I, for, I forget if we did that. I think that was well before well, our time. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's a bummer. That was a good movie. Um, but we've done spy movies in the past. We've oh, done other movies, done action John movies, John Wick, sure. certainly. And we've got a lot to look forward to. Next week, we've got The Dark Tower and uh, some movie that I'm forgetting. <laughs> Detroit, is? I think. Detroit. 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 Speaking of... Uh, Catherine Bigelow. Another historical. Yes. That's going to be an interesting one. So yeah. definitely check us out for that and tons <laughs> and tons of movies down the line as well. So um, keep checking back in. See you guys next time. Bye. of the anatomy of a movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.